Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. Welcome, John. It's a pleasure to be here, Lewis. This week, we'll be taking a look at a rather remarkable outpouring of student voices on behalf of more gun control. We'll also be looking at the politics behind gun control regulation in the United States and how this is affecting California, as well as the ongoing dispute between California and the Trump administration over its education plan that it's trying to get approved in order to get federal funds. But before we get there, let's take a closer look at the student protests. They were actually quite remarkable. Ed Source was at various places around the state to monitor the walkout. And here's an excerpt from a student speech at Hamilton High School in Los Angeles. It is necessary and proper to regulate guns. It is necessary and proper to replace obsolete legislation. It is necessary and proper to fight like hell for others. That was a student at the protests at Hamilton High School in Los Angeles. Our reporter, Nico Savage, talked with Claire Obi, a senior at Berkeley High School, just before the walkout, where the students formed a peace sign on the football field. I think all the students here are just trying to show, like, we are going to get gun control, we are going to fix this problem, this is where it stops. And here's some sound from a rally at Oakland Technical High School, normally known as Oakland Tech, in North Oakland. It has already been said that in 2018, there has been over 10,700 gun-related incidents in this country. That's about one every six hours. It has already been said that in 2018, there have been over 400 gun-related home intrusions in this country. That was an excerpt from a speech at Oakland Tech in Oakland, of course. Teresa Harrington, our reporter, was there. Teresa, tell us, what did you see? There were hundreds of students that um, poured out into the courtyard in front of the school, and it was very well organized. They had invited the League of Women Voters to come and take voter registration from the students. They had a booth for people to write letters to their elected officials, and they also had a booth where they were. They had pictures of all the victims from Parkland and also pictures of other Oakland shooting violence um, victims throughout the city. Well, let me ask you about that, because Oakland hasn't had a school massacre, thank goodness. Nothing like that has happened in Oakland, but gun violence is a fact of life for many students in Oakland, and uh, I dare say many students at Oakland Tech. Was that a theme that came up during that? That was absolutely a theme, and there was actually the Oikos Nursing College shooting in Oakland, but no K-12 shooting. What was that? That was a nursing school um, shooting that happened a few years ago. When they asked how many people had been affected by gun violence or knew someone who had been affected by gun violence, uh. dozens of people raised their hands. What was the kind of the mood there? Do you think this is something that's going to be ongoing at the school? Was this a one-time thing? What, what was your sense of the mood there? The mood was that they were really fired up and that they were determined that this was not going to be a one-time thing, that this was just the beginning. They were very inspired by the Parkland students and they were very well organized. They talked about participating in the March 24th march that's coming up and voting when they get if they're not able to vote now, to vote when they are able to vote and to really make a difference and collectively use their voices. Was it raining when you were there? 
it did start raining. That didn't daunt anyone. They were in the middle of the 17 minutes of remembrance at that point, and people just pulled out their umbrellas, and they uh, they were really very engaged in what was being said. A lot of chanting was going on. There was a rap. People were clapping their hands, booed against the idea of arming teachers. Okay, well, Oakland Tech is just up the road from us here, at, actually, at EdSource, so you'll be keeping tabs on what happens there. Yes, I intend to. Thanks, Teresa Harrington. Thank you. Well, back with John Fensterwald. John, I think one of the interesting things about this landscape is that California actually has more stringent gun controls than any other state. So the battle really is more on a national level, and I think the signs are not very hopeful at all that anything is going to happen on the national level. So one wonders how students are going to maintain their level of engagement and where the target will be. We're a long way from Washington here. I see it as a generational shift. Perhaps every generation needs a galvanizing moment to get involved, and we often talk about lack of civic engagement. And I think this is one issue that students around the country can rally around and perhaps use this to get involved, register to vote, and and raise other issues. So we'll see. You're right. Uh, California has strict gun control, but as the students at Oakland Tech express, they are often witnesses and family members are victims of gun violence. And even though California has pretty strict gun controls, there's only so much impact that will have because guns come from outside of California and uh, really a national response is needed. Now, one of the other things that was interesting about this week is that the Trump administration somehow managed to link the Parkland massacres to policies of the Obama administration. Yeah, it started with Senator Marco Rubio in Florida, I believe, who made this connection between the massacre in Parkland and student discipline policies the racial disparities that the Obama administration tried to address a couple years ago in a guidance to the states. Yeah, what what happened was that in 2014, the Obama administration put out these guidelines trying to get school districts to reduce the number of suspensions and expulsions and to introduce alternative discipline policies and also to, to discourage using police on campus. I mean, certainly armed police on campus, which they viewed as contributing to the so-called school-to-prison pipeline. And uh, in fact, what's happened across the country is that suspension rates have declined, suspension and expulsion rates. And particularly in California, there's been just a dramatic drop in suspensions and expulsions. But Senator Rubio is kind of implying, not kind of implying, he basically said that those policies could have contributed to the Parkland massacre because if this student had been turned over to police, that perhaps this wouldn't have happened. It was an absolutely wrong and strange connection that he made for after Nicholas Cruz, the the gunman, had been, in fact, uh, expelled from his high school and had numerous encounters with the police. They were well aware of him. Well, that's true. And in fact, one could argue that if the school had been able to find alternatives to expulsion, which is what the Obama administration is really encouraging, perhaps this massacre could have been avoided. But it's also clear that this student has severe mental health problems, and so one doesn't really know what occurred at the school, but certainly the kids were protected at the time at that school. Right. I would say, John, that when Senator Rubio sent a letter to Secretary 
of Education, Betsy DeVos and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, making this link between the Obama-era guidelines on school discipline and the Parkland massacre. This was at the end of months and months of criticism by the conservative right and the Department of Education against these school discipline policies. There's been a strong push for several months now to do away with those guidelines, and now they've been able to draw a link, or at least trying to draw a link between those guidelines and this massacre, which is pretty shameful, seems to me. I think it is indeed. We've, you've talked about numerous times the, the alternative to expulsion and suspensions that California has tried. We've never seen that correlation between a lack of suspension and somehow more disruptions and, and impacts on school life that Rubio and others are claiming. Also true that California is pretty committed now to reducing suspensions and expulsions. It has uh, improving school climate is part of the school accountability system. So it's not clear what impact this push on the federal level to move away from alternative discipline practices would have on California, but it could have an impact. I think it raises questions already whether or not the politicization of the commission that the president has established with Betsy DeVos as its chair looking into this and other issues. Well, John, before I let you go, this conflict between the push and Washington to move away from alternative discipline policies is not the only conflict that's going on. In fact, California is involved in discussions, let's put it that way, with Betsy DeVos and the U.S. Department of Education around its education plan that it submitted to the federal government that it had to submit as part of the Every Student Succeeds Act in order to get federal funds. The department, the U.S. Department of Education, had concerns about that plan, and California has been negotiating with them. And uh, what's happened in terms of reaching some agreement? Well, the federal government has reviewed and approved about 35 states' plans. California is not one of them. This is a third revision that California would try to do. And California is complaining that the Betsy DeVos and and the administration are taking too narrow an interpretation of the Every Student Succeeds Act. They want flexibility because they want to innovate in California's own way. The federal government has come back and said, no, we've got serious questions about a number of aspects in your plan. So there have been negotiations. There was, in fact, a five-hour discussion between the staff of the state board and the California Department of Education to see if they could reach an agreement. There are compromises in language. An agreement with the federal Department of Education. Yeah, between the, the state board, which is in charge of the plan, and the federal government. And they've reached some agreement, and so we thought that there was going to be a vote this week, but it didn't happen because too much was going on. They couldn't get all the material out. But so next, within the next month, there will be another meeting. There is some real division on the board, though, between those who say we shouldn't compromise. You know, we know what we're doing, and what we don't want to do is have a federal plan and a state plan, separate state plan, for reforming and for improving schools. So... You know, the question is, do we seek waivers? Do we keep on... To seek a waiver from the... From the federal law to permit these exceptions, or do we just say, no, federal government, we're not going to do it? I think there are divisions within the board. Some say, no, these compromises are okay. Others are saying, no, I don't like the direction that some of these are headed. So, you know, there'll be a lot of discussion between now and then. Well, it was a bit of a surprise. I think uh, everyone was expecting the board to approve the the negotiated agreement. 
Well, I think board members said they'd need more time to look over all these things. And okay. everybody agreed that's probably a good idea. Well, John, you'll keep us posted on what happens on that front. I will. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Thanks to you for listening, and see you next week.